great to be with you guys at last. Um, Andy, thank you for your kind introduction. I've enjoyed our friendship over these last four years immensely in the fellowship. We've had lots of great times um, uh, in Louisville at T4G and at Glen Carbon in Chicago when you've come up. Andy was with our staff uh, back in April for some training. Uh, that was a great time. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. And Andrea, I've enjoyed getting to know you and your wonderful kids. Thanks for your hospitality and the wonderful fellowship and meals this weekend. Grateful to you. And Encounter Church, it's fantastic. Oh, Grace, sorry. I see Encounter outside. I've been in the building all weekend, sorry. I know you're Grace Church. Grace Church, it is great to finally meet you guys. And um, I want to say on behalf of myself and Natalie, thank you. Thank you for your prayers. Um, I know that when I send prayer requests to Andy on email, when I'm about to go on a trip or when I send the prayer letters, you really guys really do pray for us. Um, and it means a lot um, to know that there are people I never met before face-to-face praying for us, for our ministry. We're so thankful for your prayers. And um, many times when I'm traveling in hard places, I feel like I'm riding a wave of prayer. And I know you guys are part of that. Thank you. Thanks for the encouragement. And thanks for also financially partnering with us and making our ministry part possible. And uh, before I preach, I just want to say to you that when I think of you guys, and I pray for you as well, as I pray for all of our partners, you are partners. Please don't think of yourself as a supporting church. Um, I don't think of you as supporters. I think of you as partners in the gospel. Because the reality is I can't do what I do without partners like you who make our ministry possible through your prayers and through your encouragement and through your financial care for us as well. So when I visit these pastors around the world, I really am an extension of you. Um, we're a body, right? And uh, you might be here physically, um, but I'm representing you to these pastors overseas. And think of me as your hands and your feet and your voice um, as we encourage these pastors around the world. So we're partners in the gospel, and I'm thankful for your partnership. And the pastors are as well. Um, and when I was in Haiti recently, one of the countries I work in, the pastor said, it just blows our mind that there's people in America we've never even met that care about us. And that love us and pray for us and send you to come and serve us. It's, it's just, it blows them away. And, um, and that's your ministry. So thank you for your ministry. May God bless you for it. Um, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. I want to encourage you to open your Bible. I'll read the passage and pray for us. When Andy first told me some months ago that he'd like me to come and preach at Grace, I said, I'd be delighted to finally meet Grace, be happy to open the word. And then a few weeks later, he said, oh, by the way, you're going to close our series on Second Timothy, and I thought, thank you, Andy. And uh, I confess, I kind of feel like the, the, the relief pitcher's been flown in from the farm team for the weekend. We're in the bottom of the ninth in the World Series. You're winning, and uh, my job is to not drop the ball. <laughs> and so I pray I don't. So please turn to Second Timothy chapter 4. I'll read verses 9 to 22. We'll pray and ask God for help, and we'll uh, dig in together. And I'm just going to turn my iPad on because my sermon's on my iPad. There we go. Don't worry, I'm not texting. All right. Second Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 9. Paul writes, final written words. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. 
Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me, may not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Nesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as we read these final written words of your apostle Paul, we are struck by the fact that as he's in prison, languishing and awaiting his execution, his concern is for the gospel. It's not for his own life primarily, but it's for the gospel that it would be proclaimed fully and that you stood by him and enabled him to fulfill his ministry. And we're struck by his courage as well, the courage he had in you in the face of prison to trust that you would deliver him safely into your kingdom. Father, as we read and study these words, would you make our concern, our heart beat for the gospel, to have our concern that we would fulfill the ministry that you've given us. And we pray that as we face persecution, you would give us courage, the courage of Christ Jesus, who will deliver us safely into your kingdom on that day. Would you open up our ears to hear these words? Would you open up our hearts to receive them? And teach us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, really enjoy track and field events. Uh, when I was about 30 years younger and about 40 pounds lighter, I used to run track and field. Not very successfully, but I enjoyed it. And I still really enjoy watching the track and field events at the Summer Olympics. And one of my favorite events has become the 4x100 relay race. And one of the many reasons why I like the 4x100 is because as far as I know, it's the only event in track that is both an individual sport and a team sport. It's a team sport because of four of you running the race, but it's individual because only you can run your portion of that race. And it's fascinating as you do it. A relay baton is carried by each runner. And as you finish your race, there's what's called the 20-meter changeover box. And that's where you're finishing your race, and it extends 10 meters past your 100 meters, and it starts 10 meters before the next runner's 100 meters. So in that 20 meters, you've got exactly 20 meters, and a split second to perfectly pass the baton on to the next runner, he takes it in his hand, and then your race ends, and his begins. And that passing of the baton in the changeover box is absolutely critical and it's very stressful because that's the moment when an individual sport becomes a team sport. You rely on one another. And if the baton is dropped, both runners are disqualified. The race is over. And so being a fast runner isn't the only prerequisite. You also have to know how to pass the baton and you also have to know how to receive it. I tell you this because in the letter of 2 Timothy, we see Paul passing the baton of ministry on to Timothy. 
So let's spend a minute setting this passage in context, getting our minds back into the world of Ephesus and Paul in prison and this younger man, Timothy. How did we get here? Well, in the first letter to Timothy, Paul told Timothy to stay in Ephesus and correct people who oppose the gospel. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And Timothy obviously has been having a tough time in Ephesus. Things have gone from bad to worse. Perhaps he feels pressed in on all sides. In chapter 1, Paul says, I remember your tears. It could be the, the tears of Paul's departing. It could also be tears from the frustration and struggles Timothy faced in ministry and Ephesus. And perhaps Timothy's discouraged and thinking of giving up. And so Paul writes this wonderful letter from prison. And I think the main idea, the main thing of 2 Timothy is never give up on the ministry of the gospel. In the words of Winston Churchill, never, 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 never give up. So chapter 2, verse 5 might be the theme of the letter. Or chapter 4, verse 5, I should say. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Don't give up. The baton's in your hand. Put your eye straight forward and run your race with endurance, and you're not alone. God will strengthen you. The grace of Jesus will give you the endurance to finish your race. Never, 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 never give up in ministry. Keep going by the grace of God. And this letter is filled with commands or imperatives, and there are five particular ones that I think stand out that really provide the shape or the contour for the letter, and they're this. The first one is suffer for the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 8, suffer for the gospel. The second one is guard the gospel in chapter 1, verse 14. The third one is to train others in the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 2, you don't do this alone, you need co-workers. The fourth one is continue in the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 14. And the fifth one is preach the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 2. So I'll say them again. Suffer for the gospel, guard the gospel, Train others in the gospel, continue in the gospel, and preach the gospel. I think those five imperatives are what shapes the letter together. And you know what's the key word that happens in every one of them? It's the gospel. As Paul languishes in prison, as his life is drawing to an end, what is his chief concern? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? He wants the gospel to thrive in uh, Timothy's life as it did in his. He wants the gospel to thrive in the church. He wants the gospel to thrive in the world. He wants everyone to have a chance to hear the gospel fully proclaimed. That's his dying concern. And let's make it clear, as Paul made it clear, this is only possible by the power of God. We're going to see that in a minute. Paul began the letter, turn back with me to chapter 1, by reminding Timothy that God had put people in his life. Timothy wasn't alone. In chapter 1, verse 5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy had this beautiful gospel heritage from his mom and his grandma. And Paul reminds him, you're not on your own. God's been working in your family Through the generations, God put your mom and grandma in your life to give you the gospel. They had a sincere faith, and I'm convinced you have it as well. Don't forget your heritage. God's put people in your life, Timothy. You're not alone. 
And of course, Timothy met Paul and Silas and other co-workers in Paul's missionary journeys. So Timothy's been part of a cloud of witnesses. And we also see in the beginning of the letter that God is present with Timothy. Because if you look at chapter 1, verse 7, 6 actually starting, he says, I remind you to fan into flame, what? The gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. God has been present and has gifted you for ministry, Timothy. And not only that, but he's also given you power. Look at verse 7. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So the letter starts with these three Ps. Timothy, God has given you people. He is present with you. And he's given you power for ministry. People, presence, and power are the three themes now that Paul returns to in the close of his letter. I don't know about you, but I remember for many years before I started preaching, I'd get to the final greetings part of letters, and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like It's just kind of like the, uh, the credits at the end of the movie, right? I'm ready, I'm done the popcorn, time to leave the movie theater. But when you read these words closely, they are rich and pregnant with meaning. And people, power, and presence, the three things Paul opens letters with are exactly what he returns to in these closing verses. These verses are far more than personal greetings that have nothing to do with us. They actually contain crucial elements, not only beneficial to Timothy personally, but they have great benefit for us as a church today. Because I want to remind you, this letter wasn't just written to Timothy. It's written to the church in Ephesus. It's written to the church today. It's written so the church in Ephesus would understand what God expected of Timothy and what God expected of them. And it's the same thing for the church today. It's a reminder to the pastors and elders, but to the church as well, what is expected of us all. So the first thing, people, verses 9 to 14 and 19 to 21. Paul is in prison and we see that desertion is a theme. Look at verse 10. Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So Paul feels deserted by this young man. He said, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus is in Dalmatia, and Luke alone is with me. So Luke has been a constant companion with Paul throughout his missionary journeys, and it's based on Paul's material, of course, that route uh, Luke was able to write the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles as well. So Luke is his constant companion. He alone is with Paul. And then Paul says at the end of verse 11, get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. And you might know from your reading of the New Testament that earlier on, Mark and Barnabas and Paul had a sharp disagreement over Mark, and Paul felt that Mark wasn't very faithful. Mark disappeared in the ministry, and Paul was quite disappointed with him. But apparently at some point, God has worked in Mark, and he's worked in Paul's heart, and part helpfully says, Bring Mark with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. So he's asking Timothy to come, and he's asking him to bring Mark along, because both of these young men are faithful ministry cohorts for the Apostle Paul. And, of course, he goes on to ask, talk about Crescens, who worked with him and has gone to Galatia, Titus, a co-worker, has gone to Dalmatia, and Tychicus, he sent to Ephesus. So Paul is reminding Timothy, that you won't be long. I've sent Tychicus along to help you and to encourage you in your ministry and Ephesus. And then if you look at down in verse 19, we meet 
Prisca and Aquila and the household of Anesiphorus, who refreshed him in his change, we find out from other letters. They labored with Paul in Corinth. We find that out in Acts 18. And Prisca and Aquila have been partners in the gospel ever since. For maybe 20 or 30 years. Why do I tell you all of this? I tell you this because in verses 9 to 11 and 19 to 21, we meet a cloud of witnesses. So often we think of Paul as the renegade, lone wolf, lone warrior in ministry, the superhero of the faith who went out there and did everything on his own. Far from it. You read this letter, you read his closing greetings in Romans, and you realize Paul was surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who labored side by side with the gospel. We meet wonderful women like Lydia, who supported his ministry financially and showed him hospitality. We meet people like Anessa Forrest and others who visited him in prison and refreshed him as he wrote these wonderful words of God. Partners in the gospel People, a cloud of witnesses, gospel collators, partners in the ministry, cohorts. And that's exactly how Paul was able to fulfill the ministry given by Jesus. It was with people. And I think Paul showing Timothy and you and me that we cannot fulfill our ministry without people. We need one another. We need the body. No one person has all the gifts. So Paul was able to fulfill his ministry, not only because God called him, not only because the Spirit empowered him, but because God also graciously put faithful brothers and sisters in his life to help him fulfill his ministry. Early in the book of Exodus, we read that Moses became very busy as day by day he judged the Israelites from morning to evening. And at some point in that time, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, pulled Moses aside and he said this, Why do you sit alone? Why do you sit alone? He goes on to say, Moses, what you are doing is not good. You are not able to do it alone. And then he says something very similar to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Look for able and faithful men. It's striking. (laughs) Look for able and faithful men. Why? He says, because it will be easier for you. God will direct you and then you'll be able to endure. Do you hear that? Look for faithful and able men, Moses, who can help you because it will be easier for you. And then God will direct you and you'll be able to endure. And that's exactly what Paul tells Timothy in chapter 2, verse 2. Look for faithful and able men who can teach others also. Why? It will be easier for you to be surrounded by a cloud of co-labors, and that will help you endure and fulfill your ministry. And now Paul is saying, that's exactly why I've worked. That's exactly how Moses worked. So here's the question. If Moses, the great prophet, and Paul, the great apostle, needed people, how much more do we? <laughs> How much more do we? We need one another to fulfill ministry. Timothy needs to hear this, and so do we. Ministry is not a solo effort for the romantic lone wolf. It's done in partnership. We need each other for mutual encouragement because we're called to be part of God's new community because none of us have all the gifts. None of us have all the gifts, but as a body, we do. And as a body, we can glorify God and fulfill the work of ministry together. 
So Timothy not only had the support of his mom and grandma who were believers, but he had Paul, Silas, Luke, Tychicus, Prisca and Aquila, Anesiphorus and many others. God put these people in Timothy's life. And I want to encourage you today to go home and ask God, who were the people God's put in my life at Grace Church and in my life in general so that I can fulfill the work of ministry? Don't ignore people. Love them. Meet with them. Pray with them. Encourage them. And serve God and labor with them. But the reality is, not everybody God puts in our life is an encouragement. Look what Paul says in verse 14. He speaks of another, Alexander. Alexander was far from a co-labor and encourager. Paul says he did me great harm. And the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Paul's not shy about talking about justice, but he doesn't take it in his own hands. He doesn't say, I'll deal with him if I get out of prison or I'll send someone after him. He says the Lord will repay him for his deeds. And then he says to Timothy in verse 15, beware of him yourself for he strongly opposed our message. Paul has already earlier on in chapter 3 warned Timothy that within and without the church, there will be opposition. There will be people who will strongly oppose God. They'll strongly oppose God's gospel. They'll strongly oppose God's messengers. They'll strongly oppose God's people. And when it does, when that happens, what do you do? Do you run? No. You rely on God for strength. You labor side by side and you don't give up ever until God retires you and calls you home to heaven. So you don't run. You have people, but you also have something even more wonderful. Now, that's our second point. It's presence. Look at verses 16 to 17. Paul writes these solemn words in verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me but all deserted me, may it not be charged against them. Paul writes these very sad words, perhaps partly as a lament, but maybe more as an encouragement as well. He's probably speaking about Acts chapter 23, verse 11, the first time he's before a Roman tribune, when he made a defense of the gospel before the tribune and the Jewish council. And in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, Luke writes that that night in prison... The Lord stood by him and strengthened him and said, Paul, take courage. Paul, in that lonely moment in prison, facing the terror of the Roman tribune and the Jewish council, had the Lord God himself stand by him that night in prison him and encouraged him and said, Paul, take courage. I'm with you and I'll give you the words to speak. So often, walking with Jesus and doing the work of ministry, it's tough, it's discouraging, it's hard, it's lonely sometimes, and it might be met with very strong opposition. But Paul goes on to say in verse 17, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Even when I felt I was alone, God was with me in that moment. And Timothy and church, he will stand by you and be with you as well. 
We're never alone. God is standing with us. In the wonderful book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom makes it clear that God was very present with her and her sister as they faced opposition and terror from the Nazis. And there's one wonderful chapter where she talks about being lying at a death camp waiting to be stripped naked. She said, we never understood why they stripped us, but it's what they did after sending us to the dentist to check our teeth and take the gold out. And Corey says, as I waited, I remembered that Jesus hung naked on a cross. And she said, I whispered to my sister, they took his clothes too. And my sister gasped and said, oh, and I never thanked him. Even in that moment of terror and stripping, Corey Ten Boom knew the power and presence of God. And he stood by her and he strengthened her through the whole terrible walk. I never thanked them. God's presence enabled them to endure terrible suffering. God's presence enabled Paul to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. Look again at verse 17. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So what? So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. See, Paul's concern again was for the gospel. Jesus called him to be a heir to the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul's, Paul says, Jesus stood by me at that moment and strengthened me and said, I'm with you, take courage. And Jesus delivered him because Jesus had a work for Paul to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And Paul did exactly that by the power of God. And he kept doing it until Jesus said, it's time to be in prison and it's time to go home. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. He was present with me so that I might proclaim the gospel and I was rescued from the lion's mouth. God's presence enabled Paul to fulfill his ministry. God's presence enabled Timothy to fulfill his ministry. God's presence will enable you to press on in your ministry and not give up no matter what happens. So often when we meet with opposition, I know we want to ask why. I know we want to ask why. I've asked those questions in the valley. Why God? Why now? Why those people? Why this? Why are you allowing me to suffer? Why am I so alone? Why am I depressed? Why do I face despair? Why do I cry now? Why did you put me here? I know we want to ask why. But maybe, just maybe, there's a better question. Where? God, in this hardship, in this suffering, in this trial, in this despair, in these tears, in this depression, where are you? Where are you in all this mess? Where are you in the opposition? And Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. We may not always feel that presence. We may not in our doubts trust that presence. But Jesus promises us, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Paul says, the Lord was present. He stood by me and strengthened me. So God provided people for Paul. He provided people for Timothy. He provided his presence for Paul. 
He provides his presence for Timothy. And the third thing he provides is power. Look again at verses 17 and 18. The Lord stood by me. The Lord strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory for an ever and ever. Amen. Can I just tell you something I'm noticing again for the first time now? Where does all the activity and power come from? God. God strengthened him. Paul doesn't say, I pulled up my bootstraps and put my chin up like a man. He doesn't say to Timothy, you know, gird up your loins, bud, pull up your boots, you know, tighten your jeans, you'll get on with it, put on your big boy pants. No. He says, the Lord strengthened me. The Lord delivered me from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every deed. The Lord will bring me safely into his, into his heavenly kingdom. And so to him be the glory forever and ever. And again, look back at chapter 1, verse 7. To a frightened, despondent Timothy, what does Paul say? God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what? Power and love and self-control. Not of fear, but power and love and self-control. And now in chapter 4, Paul returns to the theme of power, doesn't he? It's God's power that enabled him to fulfill his ministry. It's God's power that delivered him from the lion's mouth. It's God's power that enabled him to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles and fulfill his ministry. It's God's power that will rescue him from every evil deed. It's God's power that will bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Romans can chain him. They can beat him. They can kill him. They can't touch his soul. His soul is in the hands of God himself. His name is in the book of life and nothing in heaven and earth can take that away from you. I don't know about you, but I've been tempted to quit many times. Both when I was serving as a pastor in this ministry. When I was a pastor, I called them BPDs, bad pastor days. I'd go home from a tough counseling meeting or I'd have a low Sunday or a tough time in ministry. And I'd say to my wife, I'm having a BPD, a bad pastor. I just feel like quitting. I just, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I want to, I want to do something else. This is tough, tough, tough going. I'm sure Paul must have had times when he did want to throw in the towel. I'm sure Timothy did. The reality is we all struggle because we all feel weak and insufficient. And I want to say to you, you should. And so should I, because the reality is we are weak and insufficient in and of ourselves. But in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus tells the disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And that sounds like a towering goal, doesn't it? Go and make disciples of all the nations. All the nations. How do we even start there? It's a monumental task. But in Acts, Luke tells the, or Jesus tells the disciples to wait until they're clothed with power from on high. In other words, the Holy Spirit. And it's the Spirit of God that empowered them for mission, a mission they could never, ever fulfill by their own efforts. It was after Pentecost and the gift of Spirit that they started evangelizing the nations and making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, so again, God doesn't say to you, ah, when you feel like quitting, let's pull up your bootstrap, Sean. You know, put your chin up, put your big boy pants on and get on with it. Not at all. We're not sufficient. But God is. 
Nine times in this letter, Paul shows Timothy and the church in Ephesus and us today that we do this by the Lord's strength. Just listen to them. God gave us a spirit of power. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. God is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. By the Holy Spirit, guard the good deposit. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. From all persecutions, the Lord rescued me. The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The Lord will rescue me and bring me safely into his kingdom. The Lord rescued me from the lion's mouth. Do you hear that? Paul's not a superhero. He's not calling Timothy to be a superhero. God's not calling you and me to be a superhero. We're weak and insufficient vessels. God knows that. We know that. And that's why Paul reminds Timothy, we do this by God's power. Or we won't make it. We can't. So my brothers and sisters, God is calling you to pick up the baton of gospel ministry and run your ministry with faithfulness and endurance. He's not calling you to be a superstar. He's not calling you to be popular. He's calling you to be faithful and to endure. And he will give you the strength to run your race with endurance. And he'll stand by you and he'll deliver you safely into his kingdom. And so after this reminder of people, presence, and power, which are all gifts from God, Paul does the only thing that's necessary. He gives praise back to God. God's given me three Ps, people, presence, and power. I'm going to give a P back to him praise. Look what he says at the end of verse 18. To him be the glory forever and ever. To Jesus be the glory forever and ever. I want to close by saying something to the elders among you and then to the church as a whole. To the elders, I want to say my brothers, God's called you to pick up the baton of gospel ministry. He's called you to the ministry of proclamation and prayer, and he's called you to run the race of ministry with faithfulness and with endurance. And I want to remind you, my brothers, God will give you the power and the people that you need to fulfill your ministry. So I want to remind you, as Paul reminds Timothy, that you cannot be an elder and a pastor by your own strength. You won't make it. You need to rely on God for power, but you also need to rely on the beautiful people God has put in Grace Church to do the work of ministry, not under you, but with you. You need God's people. You need God's power to be a pastor and elder. You'll never make it on your own. And I want to encourage you and remind you that Jesus will stand by you and deliver you safely into his kingdom. This ministry is Jesus' gift to you and it's given to you to bring glory to God and to build up the body of Christ. And I remind you, pastors and elders, you are a gift to God's church. That might sound silly, but you are. God's given you to the church because Jesus wants to make sure there's never a gap in care for his sheep. And so he's put you in this time and in this place 
to do the work of ministry and to feed his sheep and care for them. And I want to encourage you to do that by God's power and with God's people. To the church, I want to remind you that your pastors and your elders are God's gift to you. Jesus has given them to you to make sure that you, his sheep, are cared for and that you, through them, hear his words of life. He's going to keep providing under-shepherds for you who will preach you the word so that you will hear God speak. And so I pray and hope that you'll come to the church expectant for the word of God, that you'll be praying for your pastors and elders, that you'll encourage them and bless them and work side by side with them, with the gifts God's given you so that together you can do the work of ministry and fulfill Jesus' call to you here in J-Town and Louisville. So I want to ask you, church, do you come to church expectant? Do you come expecting to hear God speak to you through his word? Are you willing to be reproved and taught and trained for ministry by the pastors and elders? Are you willing to encourage them and get on side by side with them in the trenches and do the work of ministry together? I think this passage shows us the eternal weight of the ministry of the word. And it shows us the burden that pastors and God's people have to bear, but we do it together. And we do it by God's power. We do it by his presence. And we do it with people, with one another. So may the Lord rescue us all from every evil deed. May he strengthen us to fulfill the ministry he's given us. May we know his loving presence. And may we long for that day when he delivers us safely into his kingdom. To Jesus be the glory forever and ever. Amen.